This is Monday Morning Church, the podcast where executive pastors, church administrators, and IT managers share their stories. Monday Morning Church is presented by Kissflow, the church automation solution. You can download the free ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Church Automation, at bit.do/slash church automation. That's bit.do/slash church automation. Welcome back to the Monday Morning Church Podcast. Christopher Harris is joining us today from Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. Great to have you on the show today, Christopher. Hey, I'm great, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. This is going to be really fun. Yes, it is. So tell us a little bit about how you came into your position there at Crossover. Yeah, so I have uh, been here at Crossover now uh, almost three years and uh, um, have been uh, in an executive pastor or senior leadership uh, church role uh, since uh, about 2008, 2009. You know, pretty unique, uh, I guess, uh, journey to get here. I'm not sure if you want me to go down that road or down that path yet or not, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun journey and, and so so excited to be able to serve the church in this way. Yeah, go ahead and take us down that journey. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure thing. Yeah, so um, you know, I know that probably you probably interview a lot of people who say that their route has been unconventional. I think mine would probably fall underneath that category um, of being unconventional. Um, I uh, actually was very fortunate. I started preaching as a young teenager, and so... I was exposed to ministry at a very young age. And um, interestingly enough, uh, 25 years ago, um, I knew kind of down in my gut, if you would, and not to over-spiritualize it, but I knew that uh, I wanted to work in a church, but not just as a pastor in a way that really allowed me to kind of work on, you know, systems and strategies. Hmm. And uh, particularly uh, in an African-American context at that time, uh, there was no such thing or no such terminology as an executive pastor. Um, you know, you had your church board, you had your deacons, you had your ministers. And even at that point, many of the ministers were not necessarily involved in the governance of the church. And of course, not many churches that I was exposed to at that time, you know, had large staffs. I mean, you had the, you know, the pastor primarily, and you know, maybe his assistant, um, maybe some grounds or facilities people, uh, but that was really about it, you know, um, maybe some stipends here or there, but for the most part, day to day, uh, that was the extent of it. And so, although I had this in my gut, you know, I didn't have the terminology, the context uh, to understand kind of what I was sensing and feeling that I would be doing long term uh, and involved with and uh, and actually what the terminology was for that. So uh, long story short, um, you know, I, I kind of grew up this framework that, uh, you know, you, you, you could pastor a church, but you would also need to be you know, basically bivocational or working full time at church while you also have your hand in multiple mm. other things as well. Um, and so that was just my framework. That's the idea, the mindset that I had approaching ministry. So I always thought, you know, man, I'm going to be, you know, full time pastor of a church and uh, leading at a church, but also involved in the community and also, you know, maybe two or three other streams of income or jobs, if you would, and uh, obviously family and whatever else. And so that's, that was just the mindset that I had. And so even when I w- went to college, um, I went to college first, to, you know, on a music scholarship, and quickly found out that I was out of my league. <laughs> uh, um, and then, you know, switched over to business. And um, even when I switched over to the business uh, program, um, to get a degree in business, I knew that there was still something not quite what I wanted in terms of, you know, just a general business degree or accounting or marketing or finance. Um, I felt like those were really traditional paths, and not it didn't it didn't quite hit the bullseye for me. And so, as timing would have it. Um, 
Uh, I went to the Florida State University, one of the greatest institutions on the planet, by the way, <laughs> plug for the, the Seminoles. Uh, they, they were creating a hybrid program at the time between the business school and the information science school. Hmm. Um, and what that what it did was it, it allowed for us sort of to learn the back end of computers and computer programming. So um, things like uh, HTML language, C++, Cold Fusion, Visual Basic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you're learning this from the understanding that from a business standpoint, you want to be able to eventually, as a consultant or a trainer or business development or what have you, you want to be able to simplify the technical stuff so that even hmm. common everyday people in the office could understand it without there being a disconnect between the engineers and the people actually doing the selling or what have you. Hmm. And so um, I ended up getting my degree in that, uh, which is interesting because, um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that God redeems all experiences and he, he redeems all your gifts and talents and abilities in a, in a very real way to be used for the kingdom and to be used for the church. And so I, I do have the gift of teaching and, um, you know, have, have just the grace to be able to take biblical, theological, deep, heavy stuff and just make make it very practical and simplistic and, and, and really culturally relevant. Right. And so uh, that's essentially what I got my degree in from a business standpoint. Hmm. And uh, at the time I was being mentored uh, by our vice president of student affairs, Dr. John Dalton, who happened to also be at the same time the president of an organization called NASPA, which is the largest governing body of student affairs professionals. Um, and so he and I were at lunch one day and, and he just kind of dropped the hammer on me. And he was like, man, you're going to be, you're going to be a great student affairs professional one day. And I'm like, huh, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> and at this point I'm, I'm getting ready to graduate and I'm starting to think about, you know, I'm submitting my resume and credentials for jobs at like Arthur Anderson and Deloitte and, you know, some of those, you know, the big C's there, you know, Fortune 500 companies and all of that. And, and he sort of just planted this seed that really just kind of struck with me. And so, again, back to that mindset of having multiple hands and multiple things and not just ministry, I, I immediately started thinking big. I'm like, man, I could, you know, I could be a university president one day. And at the time, I was uh, very involved in student government. Um, and uh, for anybody that's ever attended a large public land grant institution like a Florida State or other state funded institutions, you know that, you know, being involved in student government is not. You know, it's not child's play. I mean, yeah. our budget when I was, uh, you know, leading our student government, I mean, we had a six and a half million dollar budget wow. you know, that we were leading. Uh, you know, so when you're when you're 19, 20, 21, 22 years old leading a budget that large, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's some heavy responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, I, I was representing the university with student government traveling, you know, as an ambassador uh, at the same time that this is happening. I mean, so all of this, I'm giving you the long version, but all of this is all sort of happening all at the same time. Um, our director of admissions at the time, Dr. John Barnhill, uh, came to me and said, man, you're doing a great job with what you're doing. Um, I would love to hire you, even though I know you're a student, I would love to hire you as an admissions officer. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm very serious. So even before I graduated and, you know, while I'm pondering this notion of student affairs and all of that and thinking about becoming a university president and university administration, admin and all of that, um, and still doing ministry and, and all of those things, I start traveling for the university. And in the state of Florida, there's 67 counties uh, and I had 22 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, recruiting national merit and national achievement scholars and all of those things. And so long story short, I ended up going, getting my master's degree in education administration and immediately started working at, in higher ed. And uh, I became a director of student affairs and leadership and diversity programming and group life and all of that. And 
I was just kind of rolling in my lane while also being bivocational or, or really full time in ministry. Um, at the time I was at a church, I was kind of doing assimilation and member care, young adult pastoring. Uh, that wasn't terminology, of course, then, uh, but that's really what it is today. Um, I was also doing a lot of member care stuff of weddings and funerals and hospital home visits and things of that nature, preaching when my pastor was out and all of that. And uh, then my family and I moved to another state. And, you know, while I was working full time at this other college, this church, when we moved to the city, was literally they just started a fast, a corporate fast for a youth pastor. Hmm. And literally the, the day that the fast started was the first day that my wife and I visited the church. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. We were actually on our way to another church and we had our service times wrong when that church started. So when we got there, they were actually like getting ready to close the service out. And we're like, oh, that's a bummer. So we got back in the car. and was like, well, whatever the first church we drive by that we feel like, you know, has is not spooky. We're going to stop there and just go <laughs> worship there. <today." laughs> and literally, that's what happened. I mean, that's how we hmm. found our church. And so that was our that was our home for 12 years. And so, again, I'm, you know, I'm at a college university at the time. I transitioned into being a guidance counselor in the middle of that process. So I was at that church for 12 years. And about four years into that process, they, you know, came to me and basically said, we want you to come on full time. You're, you're doing a great job. But mm-hmm. we know that you, you know, you're managing all these other duties with your college stuff and all of that. And so for me, you know, that sounds pretty easy for some people. But for me, it was actually kind of it was a scary endeavor yeah. because I'd never done one thing in terms of employment, you know? And so the compromise was, uh, let me sign up to be a substitute teacher at our local school system and keep my adjunct faculty position at one of the local universities and I'll come on full time. And so, you know, they matched my salary and benefits and all that, which was, you know, really fortunate. And, um, I did that. And during that tenure, you know, I basically became the executive pastor. I mean, I was the youth pastor, but I basically was in, a, in an executive pastor role in terms of the responsibilities that I had. And, um, you know, at the time I was focused a lot on ministry and a lot on members, but not so much on the money. Hmm. And unfortunately, that that transition from that church did not end like we thought that it would. Uh, we tried to leave as healthy as we could. And that's a whole nother conversation. Hmm. Uh, but I transitioned then into a much larger church with, with a much larger platform that then, you know, brought the money and the maintenance stuff under my umbrella. And it's really uh, was the first time I was able to cut my teeth at not just the ministry stuff, but also community stuff, community engagement, and also what it meant to be at a church that was highly visible and had a huge, huge platform beyond just the church. Like people didn't just see the church as church. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. really was also able to refine my leadership skills and abilities with people who are now much more different than I was um, and that I that I dealt with before. And so uh, that was eight years ago. And uh, now we've transitioned here back to Florida. Um, we sort of, you know, my wife and I was funny because we added the miles up just a few weeks ago uh, for another thing that we were working on. And so since we've been married and all the ministry moves, we've we've accumulated 2,700 miles of moving. Uh, wow. That's quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it has been. So that's that's the journey in a nutshell. So then today, are you working full-time at Crossover? Or are you also kind of doing some of the education side? <laughs> yeah, so I, I am full-time, uh, of course, at the church. Uh, and, uh, you know, fortunately, I'm able to kind of have my hands on a few other endeavors as well. I am the director of administration. Uh, well, let me back up and say that all of the, the mo- all of the things that I have my hands in now, 
uh, are not so much educational related. They're really more, you know, definitely much more ministry focused now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to kind of have the flexibility here at our church here and with our leadership here uh, where they've been open to, to me doing doing this. And, and, you know, I'm blessed to be a high capacity leader that uh, can juggle multiple things. And sometimes that, you know, sometimes it can be um, a little challenging just juggling multiple things. But, uh, you know, I think that's how we're wired. I think that's mm. how I'm wired, rather. Um, and so I'm, I'm the director of administration also for a reformation of churches, um, several hundred churches throughout the United States. Um, so I lead their headquarters and, and day-to-day operations. Um, I also um, work with uh, Mosaic Network. If you're familiar with mm-hmm. multi-ethnic ministry, uh, that at some point you've heard the name Mark DeMoss. And so Mark and I are working uh, together, Dr. Mark and uh, Mark DeMoss and I are working together to uh, create a, a, a platform and a framework for churches who are looking to have uh, help with staff search. So hmm. those are those are those are the kinds of uh, primary things that I'm working on. And then, of course, um, somewhat of an itinerant uh, ministry schedule as well um, at points with um, some church consulting in there. So. We're, we're keeping busy, having fun in the process. Yeah, you seem like a, the type of person who would get bored pretty fast if you didn't have multiple things going on. <laughs> I don't know that I would get bored. I think as I get older, I realize the, the blessing of rest and, and <laughs> Sabbath and balance. Uh, but but absolutely, I think it's, you know, I think, uh, I think I, I believe very much, believe very firmly in scripture. And uh, scripture says that, that uh, God will allow our gifts to make room for us. And so mm. um, I've, I've kind of just taken the mantra, uh, unspoken mantra in my life that um, I want to die empty. So every single mm. ability and talent that God has given me, uh, I want to I want to leave that voice in the world and, and leave a space for my children to take up that mantle and whatever they're called to do and and, uh, you know, do what God's assigned for our hands to do. So, okay, I want to hear a little more about crossover. Tell us a little bit about the personality of the church and, you know, something that you guys have going on there, some best practice that you really found success with. Yeah. So Crossover Church is a very unique place. Uh, and uh, our pastor, uh, Pastor Tommy Colonin, is a pioneer in the Christian hip hop movement. And uh, what that means for us as a church is, is, is he's been here now at the time of this recording, about 22, 23 years. He actually started out as a youth pastor and the youth ministry grew so fast and so large that the lead pastor at the time handed the ministry off to him. And here we are you know, now 20 some years later, and he has done an incredible job at not just letting the church be a church of arts, but also being a church where we incorporate the arts with a strong discipleship approach. Um, mm-hmm. Our church is very relational and um, very community focused and driven. And uh, the goal is to be able to offer uh, an environment where it's multi-ethnic, uh, multi-class, multi-generational uh, church that involves the arts and that it that speaks to the relevance of, um, of our society. Um, I think any church uh, today, and that's whether it's a mainline denominational church, an independent, a non-denominational church, predominantly Caucasian, predominantly African-American, predominantly Hispanic, or multi-ethnic, uh, you know, mixed, uh, mixed-race church, um, I believe that the church has to be able to speak into the issues of our day. Hmm. And so we try to do that in a very healthy way, in a very biblically and theologically sound way, while providing really, really practical solutions for people to grab hold of the gospel and live that out every day. And so, um, we uh, we exist to be able to help people discover, develop, and display Jesus Christ in every area of our life. Uh, that's kind of you know tongue in cheek because that literally is our mission statement. But mm-hmm. it it is 
uh, what we focus on doing every single day. Um, and so, um, so yeah, in terms of in terms of solutions or best practices, I, I would say that um, we have have done a good job at creating an environment um, where diverse populations can actually worship together without losing their flavor and their culture. Hmm. Um, I think if you go to many multi-ethnic churches, um, they are they are diverse in number, but not diverse in culture. Hmm. Um, the music is still very much a, um, a CCM sound or very mm-hmm. much a Hillsong sound um, when you're causing some of the cultures that are there to acquiesce or lose a part of who they are. Um, and mm-hmm. we've been able to uh, take the music and take the sound of who we are, take the presentation of who we are, and and be able to blend that in a way that is um, that is comfortable. Um, comfortable probably is not the best word, but applicable to multiple cultures. So we'll take a CCM song, and literally our worship team is called Remix. So we're going <laughs> to remix that song uh, to make it, to make it culturally relevant for. A Hispanic crowd, or, or an African American crowd, or um, you know, at times you'll come to our church and we'll have salsa, or we'll have hmm. uh, sometimes a bluegrass, or we may have that gospel sound, or that choir sound, or what have you. Um, we're very intentional in our marketing to make sure that our marketing, um, for example, Jesus doesn't look white when hmm. when we're le- using an image of him, and I think that's very important. Well, he wasn't anyway, so <laughs> absolutely. But 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 if you look historically at what the church in America has done, yes, we've done that. Yes, you know, um, and I don't. I'm, I'm not saying all of this to offend anyone. I'm simply speaking, you know, um, speaking facts, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, without the conjectural politics of it all. Um, so I would say that that's one of the best practices. Um, I would say one of the other best practices is we we have finally resolved as a church that. that um, Small groups cannot be an only option for a multi-ethnic or a multi-class church. And mm. so we try to incorporate um, a buffet approach in terms of our discipleship model. And so if you come to our church on a Wednesday night, um, depending on the time of the year and what you uh, what topic you walk in on, you may walk in and it's a simultaneous class um, concurrent going on where you can walk in. We'll have worship together for a few minutes and then we'll break out into concurrent sessions. It's almost like a conference field and you can pick, you know, two, three or four classes that you want. You may come depending on the topic and time of the year. And we've got a corporate setting going on where it's a corporate teaching and everybody's sitting together. You may come and we've got a corporate teaching for 20 or 30 minutes and then we break into small groups together corporately in the same space for 30 to 35 minutes and it's around a particular curriculum or what have you. So we found that that approach is starting to really catch on for us and it works um, in a multi-ethnic and a multi-class approach to say that small groups is the only way may not always be the wisest way. From a cultural standpoint, people of color, uh, not just African-American, but even Hispanic or or Asian-American, may not always be comfortable with people being in their home, strangers being in their home mm. or um, hosting people or the dynamics of all of that. I mean, I can go much deeper than that, but that's that's been another best practice that um, that I would say that we um, have been able to master. I think finally, uh, another best practice is that we've been able to now start to duplicate our brand and duplicate ourselves uh, within our tribe. There are a lot of multi-ethnic churches like ours in an urban context who want to use the arts and want to use creative creative arts uh, to really draw people. And so uh, we created a platform for them for them to be able to come to us and, and us duplicate that uh, throughout. So hmm. Sounds like a pretty exciting place to be. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Now, Christopher, along with you know your role as executive pastor there at Crossover, 
you know, as is already pretty evident from what you've said, you've got your hand in a couple different areas. And two of them are you've got your own podcast and you've got a book. Would you share with us a little bit about those? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my life mission is to inspire wisdom. Uh, Simple two words to inspire wisdom. And so everything that I do flows out of that. And so I have a podcast that was just launched earlier part of this year. I'm so excited about it. Uh, it's been going extremely well. It's been really stretching me in, in great ways and new ways this year. And it's a whole other arena that um, I just was not in that space. I listen to podcasts regularly. I mean, I, I, if I pull my phone up here now, my devices, I mean, I, I don't know how many podcasts I'm subscribed to, uh, maybe 30 or so. Um, so I've always listened to podcasts and been in, in that space as a listener. Uh, but you know, when you move on the other side of the microphone, <laughs> um, it just it's a whole way of thinking that's much different than what I've done before. And so it's called The Wise Idea. And of course, it's, you know, it's on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and Google Play. Uh, we're working now to get it on iHeartRadio and Spotify and a few other hmm. uh, platforms. And so really excited about that. And it's, it's uh, we focus on life, on leadership, um, on marriage and family, and then, of course, on ministry. And um we, we talk about, you know, current relevant events, um, cultural events, but um, we, we really want to help provide everyday people with the the wise way to approach life in their faith and how to incorporate their faith in their life. Um, I believe that, um, that that oftentimes it's not a matter of what's right and wrong as much as it is, is this the wisest way to approach it? And so we're trying to provide answers for that every single day. Hmm. My book uh, is sort of in the same vein in that it's a um, the, the title of the book is called Temporary Assignments. And um, I, I wrote the book because I was looking for the book and couldn't find it. Huh, interesting. Yeah. You know, basically, um, as I navigated, as I talked to you earlier about those, you know, 25 plus thousand, 25, you know, 100 miles that my wife and I have moved and, and being in various spaces, both with her career, my career, navigating the nuance of changing as a family. We have four children. And having to reinvent ourselves as parents and reinvent ourselves as husbands and wives, even not in a bad way, but who you marry when you cross the, the you know, the jump the broom is not who you will be five years after you're married or 10 years after you're married or 15 years, mm. years after you're married. You've got to re- constantly reinvent yourself. And, and so um, there was various seasons of my professional, personal life where I was really struggling and trying to find, you know, not not that I didn't know I knew I needed to change or reinvent myself, but I was looking for the answers to how. Hmm. I was looking for a biblical framework to how. And so um, one day I was I was studying scripture and just so happened to you know start really delving into the life of Peter. And when you look at the life of Peter in the book of Acts, um, you see this courageous, strong, confident leader standing up and he preaches the first time in the book of Acts, and man, 3,000 people get saved in one day. You want to talk about church church growth, that's huge, right? Uh, you look at uh, his ministry as he's preaching to all these various groups and healings taking place and miracles taking place and doing an incredible job leading diverse people and all of that. And, and I started looking at, well, man, how did he get here? And and then I see this, this, this guy who is failing time after time in the Gospels. I mean, he he's, he's sinking. He tells Jesus, let me walk on water. He starts falling, sinking in the water. Um, you know, Jesus calls him and, you know, ask him a question. He gets the answer right. And then literally a few minutes later, Jesus is calling him Satan. Get thee mm-hmm. behind me, Satan. The time after time, he's putting his foot in his mouth and he's making major, major leadership blunders. He cuts a man's ear off as Jesus is in one of the most <laughs> critical moments of his life. Jesus has to heal the man, put the ear back on. And then you can almost just kind of through, you know, conjecture, imagine in the text that Jesus is just like walking away, shaking his head like, 
<laughs> Peter, what else do I need to do to get you to get it? You know, so 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 I think you know God just kind of gave me some revelation on this notion that Jesus was really in the place of trying to help Peter reinvent himself in all of these different seasons of his life to prepare him for Acts. And if he had not encountered those moments with Jesus in the Gospels, he he probably would have been a big failure in Acts. And so. So my book is, is about teaching people how to reinvent themselves um, the wisest way possible. And so every season of your life is a temporary assignment to get you to where you need to be. So mm. that's that's the book. Oh, that's great. We'll put a link to both your podcast and the book there on our page too, so people can access it easier. Thank you. So Christopher, I want to finish with this. What encouragement would you give to others in church leadership? Yeah, that, I think that's, a, that's an amazing question. Um I would I would probably you know give three or maybe two or three answers here. Number one, I would ask the question: What are the needs of people that you're called to reach? Um, I think every organization, regardless of industry, has to be clued in on that. Um, uh, what are the questions that people are asking? And I think you know we have to be comfortable in not only getting those answers but be comfortable in answering those, those questions. Um, you know, one organization um, that I think, you know, serves as a, as a model of great service is Chick-fil-A. And, you know, some people, um, you know, are, are not fans of Chick-fil-A for various reasons, but I think there's some principles that we can pull away from it. And the founder of Chick-fil-A was quoted one time as saying, we are not in the chicken business. We are in the people business. We just so happen to sell chicken, hmm. right? And I think that's a powerful quote because, which probably moves me into my second point, and that is that every industry, every single industry, and I'm going to put religious industry right in there. Sometimes people get scary, scared when you start talking about the church from an industry standpoint because uh, that's a business term, but there's some business principles to take away from this. Without exception, every industry is experiencing disruption. And what I believe is that we are having to marry our mission, but date our method, hmm. right? <laughs> and so we've got to figure out, you know, be very clear who we're called to reach. What is our mission? What is our unique competitive advantage? Become uncompromising and comfortable in that because we're, you know, and I think this is a growth point for the church. Your church is not called to reach everybody. And it's okay for you not to reach everybody. You're called to reach a particular audience based on your culture and your personality of your leadership and personality of the church and and be comfortable in, in knowing that mission, but also being mature enough with your systems, your structures and your strategies as an organization to adjust and be nimble to the methods to accomplish a mission. Hmm. I think if you get stuck and you marry your methods you're going to become outdated and become lost. And anybody that's listening to this, that's a part of a church, you know, I think we get, get, get it confused sometimes because Jesus said upon the rock, this rock will I build my church and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And people say, well, the church is never going to die. And that's true. The big C church, God's church is never going to die. But if your church doesn't adjust its methods, it will die. Mm. Your local church will die. And so I think it's important for us to understand that cookie cutter does just, just does not cut it anymore. Hmm. Um, and so the final thing that I would say then is really asking this question, is life transformation um, authentically taking place in your church beyond Sunday? Um, and if it's not, your church needs to change. Um, I think the church, regardless of, the again, the culture of it, the race of it, the city, um, all of that, the church does a good job at do- doing church well. Uh, but uh, my lens is telling me that people are looking for 
development and teaching and relationship and unique experience and, mm. you know, um, life purpose development and, and all of that. Things that we would call discipleship, but I think even much more than discipleship. And um, I think if the church just continues to do church well and doesn't um, expand its borders and its methods to include those other things, I think we're going to find ourselves where there's this 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 collective restlessness that people have with the church today. Mm, no, that's great. Christopher, some great wisdom you've shared with us today. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. This has been Monday Morning Church, presented by KISSFLOW. To learn how you can transition your church from paper forms to automated processes and improve your communication, go to church.kissflow.com.